Welcome to Healing City Podcast. My name is Eric Seepin. The following podcast features Ron Brown. Ron Brown will be talking about the defense for Christ, covering some of the prophecies and extra-biblical historical data. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Healing City Podcast. My name is Eric Seepin, and across from me is Ron Brown, and we are in our second episode, but it's actually our first episode called The Book of Paul. Last week was the book of Saul. This one's the book of Paul. Welcome, Ron Brown. Thank you very much. Good to have you back. Yeah. You uh, said you had a question for me. I did. Yeah. I did. So, bef- so this is going to be a, a relatively academic kind of episode. Um, and it'll probably be the last one that's so academic for a long time. Um, the, por- the purpose of this one is just for me to basically make the case for Christ. Uh, last week, I did my best to show the, the best case for agnostic atheism. Today, I'm going to do my best to show a really good case for Christ. Uh, but be, yeah, before I get to that, um, a friend of mine, Rob, who's listened to uh, our episodes, oh, okay. he, um, and I asked you this question too, um, you said that God spoke to you and told him that I would become a Christian. Yes. So my friend asked, like, you know, the straightforward question of how does that play out? Like, I'm assuming that doesn't mean that you just heard, dun, 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 Eric, this is your father. Ron's going to be a Christian. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, well, like, how does that actually play out in a real, like, you know? <laughs> how do you know it didn't have the sound effects in the sound? <laughs> I make a lot of assumptions. It's, it, it's a faith claim. I admit that. <sighs> That's funny. Yeah, there was, uh, there was music. and Okay, cool. I mean... If anybody listens to this uh, podcast for any length of time knows uh, that I talk a lot about a particular uh, process of praying and, and that where you listen to uh, the Holy Spirit. It's a whole practice and it's called Trinitarian prayer. I think it took you through yep. it at one, at one point, um, but I do that maybe two to three times, maybe even four if I'm really diligent a week. Okay. Um, and it requires journaling. So I do it in a journal process and, um, so I have practiced this over and over again. And so what I do is I read some scripture usually, and then I begin to pray to the Father, then to the Son, and then I sit silently and quietly for a few minutes, and then I write my name down, Eric. And then I begin to write. And I let everything in my brain just sort of begin to pile up on the, the paper. And over time, I have found that God guides the words I say. Right, right down on a piece of paper. And at times things come out that I did not expect to write down. Um, and so I just wait to see if they're going to happen or not. And they always do. So I just... So it's like a stream of consciousness thing? It is. It is a bit of a stream of consciousness. I do hear a voice in my head. Right. And so here, I mean, and this is what I've talked about for a long time. And I believe this to be true. The more I study neurobiology, which I'm into a lot these days, um, is, you know, God created our brains. So all communication happens through our brains, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and so... Um, our consciousness and our subconscious and all those things are actively engaged in the spiritual world. And so if you have the spirit of God, I believe in you, then he is engaging with those things. And I remember when you told me this, like, cause I asked the same question that Rob asked you, it was like, how did that play out? And, and, and then my question to you was, how do you know it was God saying it to you and not you saying it to you? Right. And I think the way you put it was something along the lines of that. There are certain thoughts I have that there's no way God would have said that. <laughs> so like, whereas, right. 
so I guess you could say, but like a skeptic could say, well, it could be God, but it could also just be you having thoughts in accordance with the Bible. And so therefore you, you know, that that's possible. Uh, sure. And so what yeah. I, well, one of the things that I believe is that the Bible is God's active and living word. And so the more I meditate on that, the more mm. that is going to come out in those Holy Spirit times, right? That the scripture is going to be called to um, my mind. Um, and yeah, certainly all of the things that I have experienced um, for the most part could be explained away mm-hmm. by some psychology. I mean, you can explain, but then, you know, yeah. you can explain everything away. Right. I right, can right. create doubt in mm-hmm. anyone. Certainly. Right. Absolutely. I mean, my favorite thing, you know, you talked in your last message or not message, but your last conversation on this podcast about how you used to be in a place where you wanted, uh, you know, Christians to sort of you give them the the tools to deconstruct themselves. Their own faith. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, my joy in life before when I was kind of a more ardent, um, I don't know. I was a Christian who felt like arguing a lot. Was my joy was to give atheists the tools to deconstruct their atheism. Fair enough. So by we creating a large amount of doubt and anxiety about their faith claims. Right. 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 And so, that's you know that's but that's not a good way of drawing people to anything. No, it's right? not. It's just to dismantle the things that they hold dear to themselves. Right. Yeah. So okay. But yeah, I mean, so I believe it was God who told me. It is a process that I've, you know, acted on, um, but I don't know. Okay, fair enough. Right? I can't I can't claim any All divine right. knowledge. <laughs> All right, so that was our first dig into the mailbag. And I, I was thinking what we should do is maybe get me an email through the church, and then we can start, like, you know, if people want to email in questions, they can do well, it. They, or they can just email healingthecity okay. at gmail.com. Perfect. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so, Rob, I hope you liked that answer. I hope it satisfies you. Um, but let's get back to the content of this episode. So, as I said last week, I, I did my best to make an extremely strong case for agnostic atheism. I made it just as strongly as I would have made it four months ago when I was an agnostic atheist. And today, I'm going to be making the case for Christ. And specifically, I'm going to be making the case that won me over in particular. Um, and how it won me over it was, was that it won me over intellectually so that the rest of me could be won over secondarily um and um either next week or in the next few weeks um one of my good friends uh his name's nathan he's one of the most well-read people i've ever met he's an atheist he's a mathematician i'm gonna get him to listen to this podcast and if he has any disagreements any things he wants to respond we're gonna have him on to do exactly that just to represent a smart solid atheist point of view and hopefully he listens to both exactly he can bolster your arguments absolutely for atheism Mm -hmm. they need bolstering so (laughs) all that Alrighty, but so so i'm gonna so for, for my case for christ i've got broken them down into two categories one is the fulfillment of old testament prophecies and the second is extra-biblical, non-Christian corroboration of the Bible. So in terms of the first category, so it's Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. So I'm going to start off just by heading off criticisms. Um, when, as I told in, my, uh, in one of our previous episodes, what won me over first was the prophecies. And but one of my uh, when my friend first brought them up to me, one of the things I said to me is like these prophecies are all being confirmed within the Bible, and so what I said was it it was like if in the first Star Wars movie a, a character made a prophetic statement, and then in the third Star Wars movie that thing happened, 
that doesn't mean that Star Wars is now a documentary. It just means that at the very at the very least, it has a an, at least in this regard an internally consistent plot. Um, but then, enough, upon further thinking, it's like that's not really a fair comparison because Star Wars was written by one person in one lifetime, whereas the Old Testament was you know those books were written hundreds or thousands of years ago by like a, an amalgamation of different writers, and then the New Testament was written you know several hundreds of years after the Old Testament was compiled by a totally separate group of different writers. Uh, so it, it, it's not really the same thing. Um, another counter argument, uh, about, you know, this section of arguments is what if the old Testament had been tampered with so as to make it look like, uh, prophecies had been fulfilled just by rewriting the old book t to like say what actually happened with force, with the foresight in hand. Um, that argument is, it's just a non-starter because the, the thing is, is that the Old Testament is holy text to the Jewish people. The Jewish people viewed Christ as, not all the Jewish people, but like the authorities definitely viewed Christ as being one who was engaging in the most egregious form of blasphemy they could imagine. And so the last thing they're going to do, they're not going to let you edit their text anyway, but they're certainly not going to make do it for under these circumstances. So you, you got to remove that from the table and they've, they have old you know, like preserved texts of the Torah that were before the time of Jesus that say the exact same things. So that's off the table. Um, then there's the question of how do we know that the writings in the New Testament were accurate? Um, so uh, there's a few things. One is the Romans and the Jewish authorities of the time, they were, they were powerful. You know, they had way more of an informational social infrastructure than these early Christians who, who basically were just... Like, they were viewed as a cult, right? So if the Christians can spread the Gospels, don't you think that the Romans, especially the Romans, but but the Romans and the Jews could have spread, like, retorts further, faster, and wider? Um, and wouldn't they be, wouldn't they have preserved them? Like, wouldn't, like, why wouldn't the Romans, for example, just show that the tomb is not empty? <laughs> and then write about that and spread it across the to the, the ends of the earth. Right. So there's that. And then... Also, why would the gospel writers write these things, preach them, stand and stand by them in the face of torture and death if they didn't truly believe them? And since they were there at the time, presumably they had good reason to believe this because they're flouting their entire culture. They're risking their own lives. They're alienating themselves from most of society around them. Like, this is a terrible life choice unless this is a real religion. You know, like it's real. Right. Um, so there's that. Then there's you know, the argument of weren't the New Testament uh, books written a long time after the events in question occurred? Um, and the answer is no, not really. Um, the writings of Paul began approximately 16 years after the events. The Gospels came over the next several decades. By comparison, the first biography of Alexander the Great didn't come until about till over 400 years after his death. And the earliest Buddhist scriptures weren't recorded until over 600 years after the time of the Buddha. Uh, so just a little bit of a comparison. But nevertheless, still, like, why did it take so long? Um, so there, you know, there's a few reasons. One is it was an oral culture. Like, back then, rabbis were known for memorizing the Torah in its fullness. Um, which is not as hard as... It's hard, but it's not as hard as you, you would think. Because most of these texts were written in, like, a poetic and narrative structure, which aids memory. Um, another thing is the cost and benefits of, of writing these things down 
didn't favor it like it would be today. Today, effectively, everyone can read, and we type it out and then can make 68 million copies if we want to. Back then, it's like only a minority that people could read, um, and um, probably even fewer could write, and or surely not more. And um, every copy had to be written on its own. There was no photocopier. Right. Right. So, and, and they weren't doing it on like perfect, pristine white paper. It was on like papyrus and other kinds of things. Right. They were just like, it was like, like the least bad of bad options. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like, they're, you know, yeah. So, so that's another reason for their writing. And then another thing is like, who's to say that there weren't earlier writings that were destroyed by Roman or Jewish authorities? Like, certainly they had the incentive. So, right. so there's also yeah. that. Um, any thoughts so far? No, it's, it's okay. good. I'm just, just, I'm just going to let you go. And, okay, just yeah. jump in whenever you want. Um, so then the next is question is, were the writings well-preserved? Like, how do we know that there weren't a million transcription errors, or not even errors, but deliberate edits uh, after the fact? Um, so there's lots of arguments on this regard. One is, is that the Bible has more surviving manuscripts than any historical document. Um, I believe it's over 24,000 yes. different copies. Yes, and, and any textual critic who's not a Christian will tell you that what you're reading in any one of your translations is 95% of what was written mm. in its original. No, yeah. no textual critic will tell you that's not true. If not, not even either. higher. Yes. Yeah. So they don't, they don't, that's not the issue. They have other issues, but that's not, yeah. the, that's not it. And it's, it's like, uh, you know, some of these surviving manuscripts go back really early. I think mm -hmm. the earliest ones go back to about 150 AD, which is like less than 120 years after uh, right. Christ. Yes. And there's, and as Eric just mentioned, there's an incredible amount of consistency across the manuscripts. And this is despite them coming off at different times in different cultures and different languages. Yes. So it's even more impressive than you'd think given that. Um, now, another really good question, my friend Rob brought this up to me a few weeks ago, was what about the books that were left out of the New Testament? You know, the Book of Mary, the, you know, the, I think mm -hmm. it was like the Gospel of Thomas or the Book of Thomas, whatever it's supposed to be, the Doubting Thomas. Right. And so there was uh, several reasons that, that I think were good reasons to leave these out. One is that they were written well after the actual Gospels were written. Yeah. So they, they weren't as, you know, they weren't as close, not even close to as close. And then they were, unlike the Gospels, they were not written by disciples of Jesus or by the disciples of those disciples. So there's less of a direct connection. Right. Uh, like, you know, it's, there's, there's more chains, you know, in the broken telephone kind and, of thing. And we have a lot less copies. So oh, that, that, there you go. Okay. Meant like we have a few copies compared to the, in the same way, with the consistency okay. across the board. So that's one of the other things. And then another thing is, according to like the historical records, it didn't seem like the early, the ancient early churches really, they were not a big part of their sermons, like no. at all. No. So that's a bad sign because they, they, you'd think if it was like these people are far closer to the events than we are, they'd have a better idea of what actually happened and what was relevant. Right. Yes. So there's that. And then lastly, was Jesus intentionally fulfilling the prophecies? The answer to this question is, in some cases, absolutely. In some cases, he's like, yeah, I'm doing, like, he literally says, I'm doing this to fulfill the prophecy. But for most of them, including most of the most impressive ones, there's no way he could have done that. He couldn't have chosen where he was born, when he was born, to which family he was born. He couldn't have chosen, substantially speaking, he couldn't have chosen his temperament, his intellectual capacities, he, uh, aspects of his personality. Um, 
And, and, and most impressively, he can't control what his executioners do. He can't control how they kill him. They can, he can't control the way the surrounding people act. Uh, but nevertheless, prophecies for all of these things, um, except maybe the personality ones, but the, the rest of them, they were all born out. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off by giving a few detailed prophecies. Like I'm not going to, I'm going to give two where I'm going to go by them line by line. And the thing is, is that, and then I'm going to go into some more, but I'll just be listing them off. And the important thing to know is, um, this is like the tip of the iceberg. Like how long, Eric, would we be here? if we were to like go through every one of the prophecies that was compelling. That- well, I, I think just, you know, Jesus said that the whole law and really when he's saying that he's not saying, you know, the 10 commandments, he's saying all of the old Testament is fulfilled in him. Mm-hmm. So the whole Bible, we'd have to go mm-hmm. through the whole Old Testament. We'd be here a long time. Yeah. Right. It'd take a while. It'd take a long right. time. So I, I've tried to be selective here, but just know that there's more. And I encourage anyone to uh, who's skeptical, like, please look this up. Like, everything I'm reading right now are things I verified for myself. I didn't just read them in a Christian book and say, oh, bam, there it is. Like, I went and looked online, looked for different sources, and I encourage you to do the same. But so starting off, I'm going to go to the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament book, from chapter 53. I'm going to read a bit, and then I'm going to give some interpretation. So the important thing, one important thing is that the name Jesus was is never specified here, but it certainly sounds like he's talking about Jesus. So it starts off, he was despised and rejected by men. Jesus, broadly, was despised, despised by Romans and Jews. So that checks out. Next, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Well, he was crucified. That's pretty bad suffering. Um, and, um, you know, like he was extremely sorrowful the, the night before his crucifixion. And at multiple points in the New Testament, you see him moved by sorrows to help people. Those are some of his miracles, helping people who are blind, deaf, and so forth. Um, so there's multiple attestations of that in the New Testament. Um, then let's see, it says going next, yet we considered him stricken by God. Well, it's, I would imagine the onlookers would certainly have thought that he was, he was beaten mercilessly, crucified, stabbed in the, in, you know, in the side of the abdomen. Um, he laid on, he laid in the ground for three days. That certainly looks like he's been stricken by God. Then a little later in the passage, it says he was pierced for our transgressions. And so, you know, that's like the nails through the hands and the feet, the deep stabbing of his side. And on the transgressions end, the whole thing was being that basically he was dying, paying for our sins. So everything holds up there. A little further into the passage, it says, and this one's just beautiful. Like one, of, I remember a few months ago talking to my mom and I was just like, even if this is nonsense, this is artistic brilliance. And this is one of those cases. So... It says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So here's here's why that's interesting. Jesus's crucifixion took place at Passover. The original Passover involved the Jewish people sacrificing a lamb and spreading some of the lamb's blood on their doorframe so that God would know that this was a home of righteousness and that he would rather than smiting them, he would simply pass over them and leave them alone. So, and Jesus is often spoken of as the Lamb of God, as on Passover, he sacrificed and he bled for the protection of the rest of us. So that's, like, to me, that's just artistic brilliance at the very least. Um, 
the, the passage goes on. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Back to Jesus. He did not defend himself or try to talk his way out of his torture or killing, and he often just remained perfectly silent per the New, New, the New Testament. And recall that there were plenty of people at the time of the writings of the New Testament who were around for that, who could have been like, no, that's not true. He was whining insufferably. <laughs> that's, and, and, and the Romans could certainly have spread that. Yes. Um, it goes on to say, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Um, you go forward to Jesus. You, uh, in the New Testament, Pontius Pilate, the governor, is is basically interviewing Jesus to appraise his guilt. And he literally says that this person has done no wrong, yet he killed them anyway because he was trying to satisfy a braying mob of people that were just clamoring for the head of Jesus. Right. So that's a lot right there. Like, that's pretty amazing, I think. The next one... Any, any comments on that? Uh, no, no, we're okay. good. Okay, so the next one, and this one is just, like, this one knocked my socks off. Like, this is one that, like, I came to maybe two weeks ago, and I had to call Michael Cousineau, the, the friend of mine who's in the church who I've been asking a lot of my questions, and I just called him to tell him how blown my mind was. This is Daniel nine twenty five to 27. The, prophet, the prophecy says, From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Okay, and then slightly later, in the same passage, it says, He will be put he will put an end to sacrifice and suffer and offering. So I know this numbering is weird, you know, seven sevens and 62 sevens, but that actually is a pattern in the Bible. The number seven seems to carry a lot of symbolic significance. It's used repeatedly in the Bible, intervals of seven, 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 seven. Um, but really cool. Okay, so when the order goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that order was given by King Artaxerxes I, uh, whose reign was right around 450 BC, uh, King of Persia. Mm-hmm. Um so if you take the seven sevens and 62 sevens, add them together, uh, so, you know, seven times seven, 49, blah, 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 the, the total is 483. So you add 483 <clears throat> to 450 BC, that takes you to 33 AD. So if we assume that the, the numbers he's talking about refer to the intervals of years, we just pinpointed the crucifixion of Jesus because it, it is widely believed to, be, to have happened somewhere between 30 and 33. Yep. That's just that's just freaky. Like as an atheist, you have to be like, that's weird. That is weird. Um, <laughs> it knocked my socks off even as someone who was already converted. So, um, and then the next part too was, you know, the, it came back later to say um, he will put an end. And this is after the the death thing. It says he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So two interesting things about that. One, it was said after the statement of death, which might be intended to mean that he actually came back to life because if he did it before he died, wouldn't he, they have said that first, not second. Uh, so that in, it doesn't guarantee the resurrection, but it, it, it's consistent with it yeah. at the very least, yeah. if not suggestive of it. Yeah. Uh, and then second, Jesus actually did do this. Jesus did basically say, you don't have to, you, you can stop with the animal offerings. Yep. So very impressive. So those were the two detailed prophecies I'm going to give. Now I'm just going to rattle off some more about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Um, So first off, as I mentioned above in Daniel, the the time of the Messiah was prophesied with incredible specificity. 
<clears throat> Two, now in Isaiah, it, it's revealed the manner of Christ's birth, born to a virgin. Now this one, you know, you're going you're gonna to see me being honest. This one is disputed, and there's definitely good reason for skepticism about this. Like, one, how do we know that Mary was a virgin? And two, there's different interpretations of the Aramaic word where it could mean virgin, but it could also simply mean young woman. Now, obviously, if the prophecy is of a virgin, that's a much more impressive one right. um like <clears throat> although it's certainly true that she was a young woman but that's not that surprising it's like that that's a prediction that is not impressive on its own well i mean to remember that uh in the first century young woman and virgin are connected because young women are virgins mm-hmm. that's why they're con- the word is connected right together right. interesting so it, it can go either way fair enough and so yes and so there is justifiable reason for yeah. skepticism about that and that's why in, in considering all these arguments i ask you to um consider them in their totality like because you're going to be able to make arguments against this one against that one but just notice the overall direction that they keep on going in um anyhow so next in, in micah it is stated that the the messiah will be born in bethlehem now that's a really specific an unlikely prediction because like why not say that the messiah will be born in jerusalem the 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 spiritual capital a much bigger city maybe probably the biggest city i'm guessing in that area in in that community right like it'd be like (laughs) you know it, it, it would almost be like someone in like 1930 or something predicting that in like you know the an upcoming president will be born in a small town in Arkansas, then, oh, there's Bill Clinton. Right. You know, but this is actually even more extreme than that. Right. Right. So, so that's fairly impressive because Bethlehem, there's what, like a few hundred or a few thousand people there probably. A uh, hundred would be a better. Right. Right. So it's like the odds are staggeringly low. Um, moving forward in Genesis and Jeremiah, Jesus's exact genealogical line is pinpointed. It is said that he will be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the tribe of Judah and the house of David very specific can't you can't pick your family um next the ot the the old testament describes aspects of his killing before that method had even been invented so they talks about for example my hands and my feet are pierced crucifixion wasn't a thing in the old testament it came hundreds of years later right and what other method of killing someone thousands on that Mm-hmm. Psalm was written. Oh, fair. Okay, yes. all right, there you go. I stand corrected. Yeah. So I stand corrected, right. And then it's, it says, all my bones are out of joint. That's in Psalm 22, um, which is exactly what you'd expect to happen in a crucifixion because when you're hanging that way, your shoulder sockets, they're, they're not going to hold up for long. Mm-hmm. You'll probably start getting separating of ribs, separating of hips, separating of, you know, all that stuff. Like you, you're just hanging there. Um, and then it also said that, you know, his bones will not be broken. His bones were not broken according to the new Testament. And again, there were plenty of witnesses that can, that could have said, yeah, there the bones were broken. I'm going to write it down and spread it wide, (laughs) but we don't have that. Um, and then lastly, the Psalms anticipated his resurrection in, in, in saying, I can't remember which Psalm this is in, but it says he would not decay, but would ascend on high. I don't remember what song that is either. Okay. Off the top of my head. Fair enough. Um, and then just one last thing. Just like, you know, another thing in Psalm 22 is, you know, Christianity shall spread the ends of the earth. It clearly has. So th- that, that is just like, you know, what is that? Like th- 2% of biblical prophecies right there. Maybe yes. that's probably being generous. Yes. Right. So there you go. Okay. So that's them. I hope you found that compelling. But it makes sense that you would want external confirmation too. <laughs> <laughs>